Well, good morning, Life Point. We are so grateful that you're here with us this morning. Happy Easter to you as we celebrate the resurrection uh, together. I'm reminded of uh, one of the theologians that I studied in seminary. His last name was Buchner, and he said that the resurrection means that the worst things in our lives are never the last things. The way that we're going to say that today is that Easter promises us light in the middle uh, of darkness. We celebrate uh, a risen Savior, and we do that because there's this kind of sense as we live our lives in the world that at times, instead of celebrating the light, we tend to celebrate um, the darkness. And when we do that, it kind of leaves us feeling alone. I don't know if you feel that. I feel that sometimes. I feel that sense of isolation and, and loneliness um, at times. Uh, back in the end of January, beginning of February, um, one night I woke up middle of the night. It's about 2.45 uh, in the morning, and I wake up, hear a noise, um, look around. And Angie had heard a noise the night before. Um, so I wake up, look around. It's obviously dark in the room, but there was a full moon outside. The curtains in our bedroom are kind of whitish, and I noticed something looked like it flew by um, the windows. And so I thought, oh, she heard a big moth, right? So I put my hand on her leg and said, hey, I'm going to turn the lights on here. I didn't want to startle you, um, but I'm going to go ahead and try and see if I, can, if I can kill this moth. So I flip on the lights, and it's not a moth. It was a bat. It was a big, it was like a foo bat, right? You've seen this at the Columbus Zoo. It was huge, like Count Dracula, I thought, was in, our, was in our bedroom, right? And it's just circling in our bedroom. So Angie, you know, digs in under the covers, and, uh, and I spring into action, right? The Batman, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of this. I've uh, never had any experience with bats, and so I grabbed the closest bat fighting tool that I could find, which was a bath towel. Right? And for the next five minutes in a very small, it's what our bedroom may be 16 by 16 space with only a nine foot ceiling, this bat is flying, dive bombing me, and I'm swinging a bath towel at it until the point I realize I'm utterly exhausted. So I retreat to the bathroom, I'm hands and knees on the floor, pouring sweat, uh, breathing, heaving, trying to, trying to catch my breath. Angie finally sneaks in. Uh, to the bathroom while the bat's still doing its thing. It's still circling uh, in the bedroom, and she's Googling how to get rid of a bat. Well, we quickly learned from Google from this helpful video that the way you get rid of a bat is that you wait for it to land. You get a cake topper, you get a piece of cardboard, and you get a broom, and you gently scoot the bat along the wall until you can get the cake topper over it, then you slide the cardboard up underneath it. So I went and got the, the various tools that we needed to, according to this Google video, easily, simply get rid of a bat. Don't hurt the bat. Just easily get rid of the bat and eliminate it from your home, right? So you notice there's three items that I've got. I have only two hands. And so I finally physically recovered and I'm like, okay, here we go. So I step into the bedroom. I've got all three things out there I've, I've gotten from the from the kitchen, and we've got a pocket door from our master uh, bathroom into the bedroom. So the pocket door, I step out, and Angie slides the pocket door closed. So it's kind of like this. This is all I can see of, of Angie. And uh, I say, hey, wait, I need you to come and help me. You've got to hold the cardboard while I hold the cake topper and the broom. And she looks at me, and she says, I love you, but I can't do it. Just like that. Just like that, you know, you, you ever feel alone, right, when you're trying to, accompany, and I shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be very critical of Angie, because we eventually opened up a sliding door, and it was her prayers, right, she charismatic prayed that bat out of our, <laughs> out of our, our bedroom um, outside, there are these moments where we just feel 
alone. And I don't think we ever feel maybe more alone um, than when somebody that we love dies or passes away. And this happens um, to Jesus. It's amazing that our God bends himself toward us, towards the human experience, um, such that he feels the things that we feel. But this happens in Jesus' life in John chapter 11 um, with his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus that lived um, in Bethany. And Lazarus um, had gotten really sick. So Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, they send word to Jesus, John chapter 11, verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Jesus, he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed, he, Jesus, stayed two days longer in the place um, where he was. And you know, those two verses, um, they feel contradictory to us, right? Jesus loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and he waits two days still. One of the great things about Easter one of the promises that really comes with the resurrection means that nothing gets wasted in the waiting. It feels contradictory to us to say that God both loves us and he waits, that he cares for us and his time, his calendar is not, is not our calendar. It's not, it's not on our time. And so we have to realize as human beings that we, um, we have the tendency that everything with us is instant, everything is now, and the crises that come up in our lives, um, they certainly feel like they demand that, right? You don't, um, you don't have an accident. Let's say you're in a car, your car gets T-boned, and um, your preschooler's in the back, and all of a sudden your preschooler has head injuries, and you're heading to the ER, the hospital. Your prayer is, God, now. You don't... Uh, you don't, you know, doing the laundry and you reach in the pockets of your, uh, your spouse's uh, pants, whatever, or coat pocket. You don't reach in, you pull out a really weird receipt, something that you didn't know about. You don't pray, um, God, if you could help me. It's, it's God, please, here, now. God, I need you. We don't, we don't seemingly have those needs, those prayers, right, where, you know, you, uh, you have an injury and you go to the doctor and have surgery and um, you find yourself taking, uh, taking maybe some significant pain medication, and all of a sudden, two months later, you're still on that pain medication. It's like, well, God, someday could you do something? No, it's God right here, right now. I, I need you in the middle of layoffs, and you know, your boss calls you into his office, and it's God, God what's going to happen? Here, speak clearly now. We always think it's here and it's now, but one of the things about uh, being a Christian is that we have to grow in this reality that God is always right on schedule. Another way that um, we've said this before is God is always right on time. In light of this passage, he's always right on time, but he's two days late. At least that's how, uh, that's how it's going to feel um, to us. So Jesus hears about Lazarus's illness, his condition. He hears about the significance of it. Certainly Mary and Martha feel better knowing that Jesus that Jesus knows about it, that Jesus can heal. But he intentionally waits two days later because he says, listen, this sickness, um, this sickness will not ultimately lead to death. I didn't say Lazarus wouldn't die. But he says, this sickness does not ultimately, it's not ultimately going to lead to death. And so the, 
the next set of verses in John chapter 11, it's kind of this, this cryptic uh, conversation between Jesus and the disciples about death. And, um, you know, the context of, of their ministry where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived in Judea, the last time they were there, um, the people tried to stone them to death. And so Jesus, two days later, says to the disciples, hey, uh, let's, let's, go, let's go visit Lazarus. And the disciples, I, I mean, they're kind of like, what? That sounds great, Jesus. But remember the last time we were there? They have really big rocks <laughs> down in Judea. Do you remember like, and Jesus kind of cryptically again says to them, hey, our friend Lazarus is asleep. Let's go wake him up. That's kind of the gist of what he says. And the disciples are just a little bit obstinate. They're like, well, if he's just asleep, I mean, he's going to wake up on his own, right? Jesus, why do we have to go down there? Because those rocks, remember? <laughs> remember the rocks, Jesus? Remember? But Jesus says, we're, we're going to Bethany. And so he arrives at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Lazarus has now been dead for four days. Um, and he's been put in a tomb his body has been wrapped. It's been what we would probably consider something like mummified um, there in the tomb. And when he arrives, um, he, sees, uh, he sees Martha, uh, John chapter 11, verse 21. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So basically, um, and just remember these words. So Martha says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother, he wouldn't have died. In other words, she's blaming death on Jesus. I don't know, do you ever do that when you, when you pray? I find myself sometimes saying, God, you could have. God, you should have. God, why didn't you? And, and that, that's all of, our, all of our human tendency. But even then, Martha says, but listen, but I know, I know someday... Someday I'll see him. Someday Jesus, will, you know, he's going to rise again. I know Jesus. Someday. But someday does not help me today, Jesus. And here's Jesus' response to her. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus' response really back to Martha is, Martha, um, with me, with me, every day is someday. I'm a walking someday, Martha. So today, right, today and someday can be the same day. Martha, do you have enough faith to understand that the resurrection is not um, an event? The resurrection is a person. I am the resurrection and the life. Can you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, right? I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And there's this, uh, there's this dichotomy in Martha's spirit that exists in our spirit when we want to look heavenward and we want to say, God, you could have solved, you could have solved my problem. Uh, with the IRS. God, you could have done something different with my child's teacher at school. God, you could have done something different with my parent and their long-term illness uh, leading up towards death. God, you could have done something different. God, if you had been here. 
And so often, that's our, that's our mindset. That's our reality. And pragmatic Martha, I love it that she, she just says it, man. She just brings it up openly, honestly, says, hey, if you had been here. And so Jesus has this conversation with her about the resurrection. And then Jesus says, what about, what about your sister? What about, what about Mary? Where's, where's Mary? And uh, in verse 32, it says, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Essentially, Mary and Martha say the exact same thing to Jesus. They say the exact same, I mean, in the scripture, it's recorded as the exact same, as the exact same words. But it's interesting, we talked about this, I don't know, five or six years ago, that Jesus' response to Mary is utterly different than his response to Martha. Jesus' response when Mary says this to him, um, John eleven thirty five, 35, uh, it's, it's the verse I had to memorize when I was a kid. We had to memorize a verse to get the discounted rate for, for camp in the summer. We had to memorize a verse. So I memorized John chapter 11, verse 35, shortest verse in all the Bible, Jesus wept. And we kind of kid, right, about, uh, about that verse and about the length of it or, or the, uh, uh, the brevity uh, of it sometimes. But that verse is significant uh, for at least a couple of reasons. The first one is that um, there are two different words in the, in the Greek language um, for uh, crying or weeping. One is the word that we would kind of call, uh, you know, the, the, the tough guy, the tough girl cry. You know, you hold it back. And, you, and the other word is the word to cry out loud and wail. And that's this word. That when Mary expresses herself, her heart to Jesus, he wails and he cries. That brings up this idea that you've got to deal with the reality that Jesus knows the end of the story. It's not a surprise to Jesus about what's about to happen in the next five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And yet, and yet, he, he cries. And not just, not just cries. I mean, the Hebrews have a wall for crying, right? It's called the wailing wall. I mean, when it says he wept, and it uses this word, he cries aloud, he hurts. He expresses uh, incredible, incredible empathy for Mary and for Martha and for what they're going through. It's amazing to me that we have a God who simultaneously, simultaneously cares very deeply and we have to trust in his sovereignty. He is always, he's always on schedule. He always knows the end of the story and nothing gets wasted in the waiting. You know, Mary and Martha, they get two very different responses. They say the exact same words. Um, <laughs> Martha, she gets a sermon, and it seems like Mary gets sympathy, right? Why is that? It's because God knows exactly what we need and when we need it. I'm going to say that to you again, that God knows exactly what we need and when we need it. You know, we just finished up the Always and Everywhere series, and one of the things that we said in that series is that God is always with you, 
And he is always one step ahead of you. He is always with you in the weeping. But he is always one step ahead. His calendar is all. He knows where he's going in the waiting. So in this experience, in this uh, grief for Mary and Martha in the loss of their brother Lazarus, here's what Jesus says in verses uh, 38 and 39. Then Jesus deeply moved um, again, came to the tomb. And that, uh, that word there, deeply, uh, deeply moved, means to be agitated. It means to be frustrated and uh, kind of means upset. And so you think about, well, why was Jesus so upset? I mean, these sisters are grieving. People there are hurting in the loss of the death of Lazarus. And personally, as I read that, I don't think Jesus is frustrated with them as much as I think he's frustrated with death. The reality that there's separation between people. This is not the way it was designed. This is not the way God designed things in the Garden of Eden uh, prior to uh, Adam and Eve introducing sin into the world. This is not, this is not how it's supposed to be. And so Jesus being deeply moved again came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time uh, there will be an odor. For he has been dead uh, for four days. Um, Jesus comes up and he says, hey, roll that stone away. And pragmatic Martha, again, I, you know, I just love her that she's in the details, right? The realities, the next steps. Like, it's like, Jesus, like, it's, it's, gonna, like, it's been four days. Like, there's going to be decay. There's going to be... Now, the, the Hebrews had this belief that... Um, that for three days after someone died, that a person's spirit would try to re-enter the body. So that's the way they dealt with the reality that sometimes people that they thought were dead really weren't dead. So they would, they would relegate someone to death because um, maybe they couldn't find a pulse or they couldn't, and you know, miraculously they weren't yet dead. So they kind of developed this, this myth, right, that for three days, but by the day, the fourth day, they knew there was a case. So all of a sudden you start to realize there's a reason that Jesus waited four days. He wanted everybody to know, 100% certain, Lazarus was dead. And she says, Jesus, by now, they'll, he, he, he's going to stink. And the, the old King James, the 1611 King James uh, says, he stinketh, right? And, uh, you know, um, we all have been around things that uh, probably are very memorable to us that, uh, that stinketh. Uh, I remember when my son uh, was 14, 15 years old, and there's nothing that smells like a, like a teenage boy, right? I remember picking him up after a basketball scrimmage. He and a couple of his friends had been a long basketball scrimmage in a hot gym in the summertime, and they all climbed in uh, to the car, and I put all the windows down, and uh, he looked at me, and he's like, hey, uh, Dad, can we just turn the AC on? And I was like, nope, because you stinketh, right? <laughs> There's no smell like teenage boy smell. And Martha's just calling us to the reality. They're like, Jesus, he's, he, he, this, this, he stinks. Like, why would, we, why would we open the tomb? And already, in just a matter of moments, Martha has forgotten that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so um, <clears throat> what happens there in verse 43, it says, When he, he, Jesus, had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out with his hands 
and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Um, Our early church father, Augustine, commented on John chapter 11. And he said that Jesus had to say Lazarus's name. He had to say Lazarus, come out. Because if he had just said, come out, all those other graves in that cemetery would have cracked open. And there would have been multiple people coming out, coming out of the tombs. And Lazarus is miraculously resurrected. Now, the importance, I think, at least part of the importance and the significance of Lazarus's, um, <clears throat> of Lazarus's resurrection is that he is teaching the disciples, he is teaching uh, Mary and Martha um, multiple lessons, but one of them is, is that this is just a dress rehearsal. This resurrection of Lazarus is just a dress rehearsal for what's about to happen in a few short days when Jesus enters Jerusalem is crucified on a cross, and three days later, miraculously rose. This is all just a setup for what's about to happen in a few short days. I was doing, um, I was doing my devotional reading a few years ago, and I was reading through uh, the message uh, paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. When you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, Paul gives this discourse on uh, death and resurrection, and our resurrection uh, bodies. And Peterson captures this in his paraphrase uh, of of 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 3. He He does a great job. He says this, We know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven. God made, not handmade. And we'll never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move. And so we cry out in frustration. There's that same word, right? We cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack. I love that line. There seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack, and we are tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, our resurrection our resurrection bodies. You, know, you read that passage in 2 Corinthians, and um, the, uh, the terminology that Paul appeals to there is he says that uh, our lives here um, on this earth are, are, are kind of like uh, tents. Now, um, you may or may not know that Paul's profession, um, outside of uh, being a missionary and planting churches, his profession was a tent maker. That's what he did. He made he made tents. And I can just imagine Paul making tents and um, Paul imagining what those things were like in temporary housing, temporary living uh, for people and comparing that to our, our lives here. And um, I'm sure there are some of you, um, some of you love camping, right? I'm sure there's some of you, you know, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, you'd be like, yes, camping. Like it's springtime, it's camping season, and some of you love to go camping. I don't know what's wrong with you, but you love to go camping. One of my, uh, one of my favorite comedians uh, once said, if camping is so great, why did we move indoors, right? That's my opinion about camping. The great thing about camping, though, I'm sure, is that you go out, you set up a tent, you build a fire, you do all those things, you go live in, out in the woods, but eventually, what do you do? You fold that tent up, right? And you come home and you move back indoors. That's why you have a house, right? You don't camp forever. And Paul says that's what it's like here 
living in this world. That our experience here, we've got to remember that our experience here is it's like a camping trip, right? Now, you can enjoy a camping trip, but eventually you fold all that up and you go to your permanent home. And so when you lose someone in this world, someone that you love, someone that you care about, you can be reminded that in Christ, listen, they're not gone. They're just somewhere else. They've just folded up what's temporary here and they are now experiencing, they're now experiencing the real thing. That this world is not our home. And I don't know about you, but I know me and I tend to live in this world and I tend to clutch things so tightly. But the resurrection is an incredible reminder to us that we can live, that we can live in freedom. Because what we experience in this world, nothing is wasted in the waiting. That there's light in the middle of darkness. And so maybe you've joined us online today on Easter. Maybe you're watching by yourself. Maybe you're watching with someone else. But maybe, maybe you're not a Christian. You say, well, what's my next step? What do I, where do I go from here? Um, uh, a while back, I was talking to um, a young lady. She was actually the first person who became a Christian um, at LifePoint all the way back in 2004. And her journey has been so unique as a, as a single mom uh, throughout the last 18 years uh, or so, how she has both grown um, in her faith and how God has uniquely used her. But in the last year, um, her father uh, contracted cancer and he was on his way towards death. Her father wasn't um, he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a believer. And whenever anyone in our family, either her or she has an older brother, who does some, some uh, part-time, I think, vocational kinds of ministry, um, whenever they would bring up even Jesus' name, her dad's responsible, here we go again, right? Here we go. He was just a little bit obstinate about, about the gospel, even when he was sick. And so I think, um, I think you know, the, the gal from our church, she just thought, you know, it's going to be my older brother. That's the person that God's going to use. But she said, I distinctly remember when God, I just sensed God saying to me in a prayer time, you, know, you, need, you need to share um, with your dad. So she prayed for the right opportunity since God's leadership. So she went in, she sat down, she talked to her dad one day. And her, dad is, uh, her dad's getting close to the, to the end of his life. And, um, and he says, listen, honey, I, I want to talk to you about something. He's like, what are you going to do with the rest of your life when I'm gone? Like, what, what are you going to do? And, and basically her answer was, you know, Dad, I'm going to continue on the, same, on the same path that I'm on. I'm, I'm going to continue, you know, being a mom. I'm going to continue to work, to shepherd, to try to do everything I can in the context of what God's given me. And, uh, and she said, but Dad, I, I need to say something to you. And this is kind of what she had prayed through. Um, she said, Dad, I need, to, I need to ask you for forgiveness. I need to apologize you. And he said, well, honey, what do you want to apologize to me? She said, dad, you know, um, when I was a teenager, um, you know, I know that that time, that season, I was kind of hard-headed and stubborn and tough, and I got things out of order, and I made some mistakes. And I know, dad, that was, that was embarrassing to you, and I just want to say I'm sorry. And I know I've had to come to you sometimes and ask you for help, and it's probably not the way you would have designed things. And I just, I feel like, you know, in some ways I just failed, and I'm really sorry. And her dad was like, honey, I don't care about any, I don't care about any of that. I don't care about any of the mistakes you made. Um, 
I, I, just, I just love you. And I, you know, her dad, I think, had this, this sense when it came to his relationship with God, right? That, that um, you know, he's, he's too far gone. He's done too much. Like, God wouldn't want him. And so he looks at his daughter, you know, and he says, I don't, I don't care about any of that, any mistakes you made. And she looks at her dad and she says, Dad, that's exactly how God feels about you. He doesn't care about all the things that you've done. He sent his son to die for you. He sent Jesus for you. So that right now, even in these last days, so that you could come to know him. And it's like God's spirit used that comment. Used her saying, Dad, that's how God feels about you. To change him. And he received Christ um, a few short days there uh, before passing. But I just thought that maybe today, maybe you're thinking the same thing. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you haven't been to a church in years because you think if you stepped in the building, like the roof would collapse. Like if you thought, you know, man, if there really is a God and he knows what I've done, there's no way. Like I'm not fit. I'm not worthy. I'm not. And maybe today what you need to hear is, listen, that's exactly how God feels about you and your past and your sins. That the scriptures are incredibly clear. That God will save to the uttermost all who come to him. All who call upon him. Regardless of where you've been and regardless of what you've done. If you're not a Christian, today there's no better day than Easter. To be reminded because he is the resurrection. And it's not an event, it's a person. And the person is Christ. Left heaven, came to earth, died on a cross to provide forgiveness for your sins so that you could come to know him. That nothing has been wasted in the waiting. God is forming you, shaping you um, all along the way to bring you to himself. Sometimes uh, it's felt like truth. Sometimes it's felt like tears. But he both cares and loves all at the same time. Both sympathy, right, and empathy, all wrapped up in him for you and with you. He's with you always, and he is always a step ahead of you. He was always, always right on time, and that is never more true for you than it is today on Easter. So I'm going to pray, and um, regardless of where you are, by yourself, with friends, in a living room, somewhere else watching, you can pray with me right now to take the opportunity this Easter Sunday to come to know Christ personally. Just pray something like this. Jesus, thank you so much for leaving heaven, coming to earth, to die on a cross, to make a payment for my sins. And Jesus, today I'm asking that you would forgive me of my sins, and make my heart clean and new. And Jesus, I'm saying that I want you to be the leader of my life. I want you to be in charge of it. I'll follow wherever you lead me and whatever it is you say to me. Thank you for this great salvation. Amen. Well, if this morning you took the opportunity to pray with me to receive Christ, 
the only thing that we would ask for from you is that on whatever platform you're watching, whether that's a social media platform, there's a link there that says next steps, or if you're watching on Apple TV or Roku, go to lifepointohio.com um, forward slash watch, and there there's a button that says next steps. Click on that button, and there's another button that says today I accepted Christ. Fill that out. Um, it'll take you less than a minute to fill out that digital card. We will send you a book called Your Next 30 Days. We have written it with you in mind. It's free um, for you. We would happily send you a copy to know, man, where do you go from here um, on this journey? Um, maybe um, you're a believer, maybe not a believer, but you'd say, you know what? I wish somebody would pray with me about the things that are going on in my life. I feel, um, I feel alone, and I wish somebody would pray with me. At the same Next Steps button, there's an opportunity there for you to submit a prayer request to us, and it would be our joy uh, to pray with you. Next Sunday, um, across all of our campuses, we're going um, to experience baptisms, people going public with their faith. And if you would like to begin the conversation about um, going public with your faith through baptism, you can also do that through that Next Steps button. If you're our guest um, watching today, thanks so much uh, for watching with us. The only thing that we would ask for from you is that in those same spaces, there's a button that says guest info. Click on that button. Again, less than a minute uh, to fill out that guest information card. But at the bottom of that card, there are four different ministry partners um, for our church listed. You choose one of the four, whichever one maybe is the nearest, closest uh, ministry uh, to you, and we will make an additional $5 donation in your honor um, just for um, being here, spending this time with us today to give you the opportunity on this Easter to do something good and kind. And for those of you who are regular attenders and members, man, we're always super grateful for your generosity, for, um, for the ways that, uh, that, you, uh, that you give. I've mentioned to you over the past couple of weeks that we've had two of our LifePoint members who have um, who've been in Poland um, who've been ministering there to the Ukrainian refugees. Now that number is north of 3 million Ukrainian refugees who crossed over into Poland. And they got to experience firsthand um, the amazing work that churches especially are doing there in Poland and as people are moving out of their homes and moving in with their families so that refugees can move into their homes um, who've crossed the border. It's just an amazing thing. Uh, to watch. I'll show you a couple of pictures. The first one um, that I'll show you is just kind of a bedding situation um, uh, there for some of these refugees uh, in, a, in the basement um, of a church. And I thought about them. I thought about that reality that we talked about, 2 Corinthians you know, 5, where um, I'm sure they are simultaneously incredibly grateful for a place to stay in Poland and incredibly hopeful of the day that they get to go home. Just a reminder that this life is just temporary, right? Um, like living in an unfinished shack. That's what uh, Peterson said in his interpretation of Paul. So um, there's that reality on the one side. And then the opportunity that our team uh, had to bless some. I'll show you a second picture of a, of a young, young girl, a couple years old, whom uh, they got to throw a birthday party uh, for her there at one of the churches and otherwise in that moment probably in space in her life she's not going to have the opportunity to have that day her day celebrated and so as you participate financially as you leverage your life sacrificially to give of the financial resources that God has given you you are helping us reach the world if you would like to give today your tithes and offerings um, those same spaces there's a button there that says online giving 
click on that button, follow the prompts uh, to give today uh, to, um, to be part of what God is doing in the context of our church and, uh, and then sharing his love, his light um, around, um, around the world. Um, the last thing is I'll just remind you that on um, April 29th and 30th, across all five of our campuses, we have uh, ladies come in from life groups. They'll come to our Lewis Center campus on Friday night and Saturday morning um, for a LifePoint women's gathering. You can go to the LifePoint app uh, to the events and registration tab uh, and just click on that register just to let us know uh, that you're coming, that you're planning on being with us, and it'll be our joy to host you. Remember what Buchner said. The resurrection means that the worst things in our lives, they are never the last things because the resurrection allows us to celebrate light in the middle of darkness. So I hope you'll take this opportunity one more time to worship with us.